0: Shift is the podcast of collective discovery. We support people to collaborate and make change together. This series shares learning and practice from organisations and funders who are part of the Listening Fund. Hello, and welcome to the Shift podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Mercy. So Mercy, in this episode, we focus on the growing involvement of young people in grant making, particularly by youth funders. We spoke to Dan, Neha, Ed and Kedji. Dan is from the Involving Young People Collective of the Esme Fairburn Foundation. He'll tell us about how their role evolved and the impact of the collective. Neha is one of the Listening Fund's group of 10 young advisors. She'll tell us about her experience of grant-making and the challenges she faced and overcame in the process. Ed works alongside Neha and the other advisors as the grant-maker managing the Listening Fund. He'll tell us what the Listening Fund has learned from the process of working with young grant-makers. Keji is from Huddle, Youth Development Agency. Huddle have worked with a wide range of grant-makers to support them to work effectively with young people. Kedji will share with us her extensive knowledge and the challenges that they have faced, what they have learnt and her advice for grantmakers.
1: So I had a chat with Dan, who is from the Involving Young People Collective who work with Esme Fairburn. And we started off by exploring why, as a young person, he wanted to get involved in grantmaking.
2: My interest was... A genuine kind of curiosity about philanthropy and the way in which social change organisations are funded and a recognition that as a young person, not really understanding like where that money comes from and how that funding is applied and who makes the decisions and who gets funding and who doesn't get funding. And it felt like a really key thing to understand is how these organisations function and, and how the vast amounts of money go out to the sector coming from... Environments where young people have been championed and they've been kind of encouraged to take on that decision maker role I was really curious about how young people can be more in, ingrained within these organisations.
1: I asked him what his experience was like of doing this.
2: A Bit of background with the IYPC as a nine month contract as freelancers to test and design new ways that young people could be involved in their organisation. The outcome of that was then we did start to be involved directly in grant applications, but there was a whole period of kind of uncertainty in some ways because. Neither ESME staff nor the collective really knew what was going to come out of it. We were kind of like figuring out together. And so our recommendation was that a young sort of advisory group, a young collective becomes a permanent fixture within ESME. It felt that we were really listened to the whole way through that. And we were also supported in that journey. And we had some really great workshops working with the CEO and working with other grant managers to kind of explore what it means for young people to be involved in grant making.
1: I also wondered what difference he thought it made having young people involved.
2: I think one of the most powerful things that I found around being involved in grant applications was grantees or prospective grantees would then be encouraged or would be invited to bring their young people to the grant calls. And so you, we'd sometimes have sort of assessment calls where it would be me as a as a young consultant working with Edme and the young person of the organisation directly talking and the fundraising manager and the grants manager are just sat at the side like sort of listening to the discussion around sort of what it's like to be part of that program and it really felt like sort of unlocks an ability to shift power when you're thinking of transparency and accountability it's accountability to the beneficiaries it's accountability to the young people that programs are set up to support so what better way than to have a, a young person working with a grant making organization and a young person that is directly going to benefit from the funding just having a chat we are embedded within the organization we kind of work alongside staff but we don't see ourselves as staff we have decided that a kind of three-year term would work best based on the fact as well, to get into the flow of things and to build relationships, I think coming to the end of my kind of three year term, I'm starting to feel like the longer you stay there, the more comfortable you get. I find myself in meetings about to say something quite challenging and then going, Oh no, but but that person said this thing in the other meeting. So actually I kind of understand why that might not be feasible. And and so suddenly you're making excuses where actually the power of our involvement is to offer that kind of fresh insight and perspective.
0: I spoke to Neha and I asked her why she'd applied to be a Listening Fund Young Advisor and why she thought it was important for young people to be involved in grant making.
3: It was something that I'd not really heard of before. I'd never heard of any sort of role that was specifically for young people. I thought that was amazing. And I'll be really honest, it was paid enough to make me want to work the extra hours instead of networking events or courses outside of work or just having fun and being social? I feel like I come at this question from a sort of data analysis point of view, where if you're trying to make a business decision, you'd want to use the most up-to-date data, really representative, to make the most informed solution and create a product that would be really effective. And so therefore, if you're making grants that are affecting young people, why wouldn't you? ask for their opinions, and value their time, and really action what they're saying to you know, make the best decisions and create the most impact and align the most to your objectives. I think it's so sensible, and although we've all been young people at some point or other, we don't all understand the current social, cultural, political context. I, I fear that I'm not a young enough of a young person. And so there's a lot of phrases that I have to ask, like my mentee at work, I asked Neha what challenges she'd faced in her role. I'm not the most confident person in the world, so to really give my opinions in meetings or flag things that, you know, have we considered a different sort of angle on this or a different perspective, that was really challenging. But I'm doing it. I think definitely at first it seemed like there was an informal hierarchy that formed depending on level of experience, and that's just within the 10 advisors, even though we're all meant to be at the same level. It did feel like there was different relationship dynamics, power dynamics going on.
0: I asked her how it felt making the final decisions on the day about who got funding and who didn't.
3: It was really tough. I won't sugarcoat it. The judging process, it it did take a good couple of weeks. We tried to be as thorough as possible, but that meant that there was a lot of time allocated to reading, especially in the first round applications where we got I believe about 120 applications. It took a lot of time, and that does take its toll in other sections of your life potentially. And then getting to that final day where we all sat around the table and we were making those tough decisions—that was really tricky. It was often one or two like really clear winners that we absolutely wanted to fund. There was some that we really didn't feel were right for the objectives of the fund. But then those, there was a few that were like the runners up. That it was just really hard to. See whether they would get their funding or not. There, it definitely comes in handy that there's 10 of us. So even if I wasn't sure on one, we'd built up the trust within each other to make sure that, you know, if someone had a really strong opinion, then really valuing that and leaning on each other for insight. It was also a challenge that everyone has different ways of learning and reading and comprehending information. So, for me, the reading time when I was doing it by myself and I could take regular breaks, that was quite all right for me. But in that meeting room, just one room, and you know that you're not really meant to leave until a big decision has been made and the big amount of money that goes behind this funding as well, it's incredible. And it really dawns on you how many people's lives you could be affecting when you're reading and you're talking to everyone else. That was just quite overwhelming. But I could see that, you know, other people in the panel, found it potentially the opposite and they really thrived on having that live conversation. So
0: listening to Neha and Dan, I think there's definitely a contrast there between the two approaches. So the openness of the Involving Young People Collective of Esme Fairburn, which has been able to evolve as new opportunities emerge, whereas the Listening Fund, there was already kind of a structure and a role defined for those young people when they came in. And you know, there seems to be some benefits and challenges to that. I found this interesting because of my own experience as a young grant
1: maker and thinking about the proximity between young people and grant-making structures. And I think there's something that needs to be thought about for every funder about what your boundaries are going to be, what, what support might look like, and also for young people to think about, do they want to be co-opted into structures? Or is there a way where you can engage in grant-making activities but not be part of the furniture? I also don't think we talk enough in the sector about what happens after you've made your selection. Thinking about grant visits or closing down a a grant-making programme, I think the sector hasn't fully teased out what, what would it take and what would be the benefits of it and whether young people
0: want to be involved in that or not questions around legitimacy, accountability, historical legacy of where wealth came from are encouraging people to involve, whether it's young people or other forms of lived experience in their grant making. But actually, sometimes that's not been thought through. And I think there's a first responsibility to do no harm.
1: Absolutely. I think there's a vulnerability that we don't account for yet when entering into these spaces. So... You might think you're just asking a group of young people to have a quick read of some grants and make a decision on ultimately whether they like it or not. But actually, if you are asking young people with lived experience to come into a process where they're going to have to say no to things that they can see would benefit them and people like them.
0: I don't know if if older adult grant makers just become numb to it, but this idea that you might have to decide whether you're gonna support trans young people or refugee and asylum seeking young people, and somehow you have to decide which which impact you want to have and which group is more deserving it is really a very uncomfortable process and One of the reasons to involve young people, and we see this more with the Involving Young People Collective, is to bring that challenge and to try and transform grant making.
1: I spoke to Ed from the Listening Fund and asked him what needs to be considered when involving young people in grant making.
4: The way the Listening Fund operates is that the Blaygrave Trust sort of hosts it. So I'm the Listening Fund's manager and I work at Blaygrave. We're a small team of eight and had to really think about what skills and knowledge do I have? um, What skills and knowledge does Blaygrave have? What's our capacity? And therefore, which young people can we work with safely uh, deliver this work in a way that is not extractive, not damaging, and is hopefully a really positive experience? And then I'd say the final thing we, we had to consider was, as always, budget and how much time we could give the young people to really explore some of these questions. We wanted to make sure that they weren't, say, asked to design a call-out in their third week of working with us and they really had time to consider some of the learning that already existed to get to know one another and to really do this work in a non-tokenistic way.
1: I asked him about what the learning has been from this experience and to reflect on this both from a funder's perspective but also from the young people's perspective.
4: Um, Some of the partners that have been chosen by the advisors have only just received their funding. So it will, it will be sort of 18 months to two years before we really know what impact their sort of funding choices have made. However, um, there's two things we we can sort of see where they've already made a significant impact, both in the the work they've done with us at Playgrave and also the, through their grants. In terms of Blaygrave, I think the advisors have definitely pushed us on the language we use, and the application and funding processes we employ, and the structures we have around grant-making. I think at Blaygrave, this is something we had made some progress on, but we perhaps rested on our, our laurels a little. And it was really valuable to have 10 people, sort of seeing us with fresh eyes, and sometimes just saying, but why do you do it like that? And then I think that the, the third thing that uh, the advisors have really had an impact on is where they place their emphasis on the applications. Uh, and there's a real emphasis on, on joy um, and funding work that um, would bring other young people real uh, excitement and opportunity. Having spoken with the grant makers since they made their second round of grants I think they would be really clear on that they've learnt a lot through doing the process twice and there's if they had an opportunity to do it for a third or a fourth time they would do it differently again and I've really been reflecting on what's the balance between making sure that multiple people get these opportunities and you sort of broaden that experience and broaden that pool of Of expertise you're bringing into the room, whilst also allowing people enough time to to gain real expertise in this work and therefore be able to kind of challenge from a point of knowledge and confidence rather than a slightly superficial understanding of what they're being asked to do. I'd say the other thing that the Listening Fund has has learned and really advocates for is making a start with this work. I think it's really important to have self knowledge, both as a member of staff and as an organization of what you're ready to do, and not to experiment on young people or or be extractive or harm people. But it is still better to start this work in a way that measures against your your skills and knowledge and expertise, even if it isn't quite as deep or as thorough as where you'd like to be long term, but by at least starting, you you develop those skills, you develop your confidence you get feedback from young people and through your second iteration, your third, your fourth, you can really develop these programs to where you want them to be.
0: So I spoke to Kedji from Huddle, who have worked alongside a wide range of grant makers supporting the young people who have been playing an advisory role. And I asked her what challenges they have faced in playing their role with grant makers.
5: So I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me in terms of challenges that we faced is the readiness of the organisation to actually work in partnership with young people. What we found is that there are internal processes that haven't been ironed out or thought through so in those cases we've had to almost step back a little bit before recruiting young people and working closely with the organisation to work out the parameters of the fund and the parameters of involving young people and another challenge is around the stage in which young people are brought into the process so we've worked with a number of organisations who are very clear in that they have already designed the fund they have the criteria the call out has already gone out and the role of young people is to come in and assess and select the organisations. Then at the same time, we've had some organisations who have got the pot and they have the broader parameters of the fund. And then they then say, okay, young people are responsible for taking all of the decisions in terms of The eligibility in terms of the assessment process, in terms of the selection process. And in some cases that works because they work very much in partnership with them to kind of impart their experience and knowledge. And then the young people take decisions. But then in some cases, they're told that they have this scope to take these decisions. But actually, they don't. More often than not, it is explained. But again, this goes back to my first point, which is these things need to be processed and ironed out and signed off before you involve young people, so that they're super clear. We've had young people in the last year or so who've come back to us and said if it's a partnership we want it to be a partnership we want to be able to draw on the experiences of the organizations and the funders and the grant managers but still be able to take the decisions we don't want them to sort of stand back let us take decisions and make mistakes and then say you can't do x y and z like that causes quite a lot of issues something that was said by um ed from blaygrave is that you know it's it's an art not a science and it's really trying to bring that in fairly early on in the process to say whilst we can put all of these things in place there is going to come a point where it's subjective. At the end of the day, they have to go with what they feel passionate about. Another challenge is about the amount of time and resources that are needed to support young people. have had a number of organisations where the funding has been quite um, fixed and we've had to really try to support young people within the parameters of, that, of the resources that we have. But then we also work with funders who were very much, actually, let's figure out what is the need and then attach the resource. The funders or the trust are working with a timeline. That timeline needs to be a little bit flexible if young people haven't been brought in early enough. So for example, one of our funders, the timeline was for young people to have come in and to have written criteria and eligibility and to have their call out all within nine months. It didn't happen in nine months. Given the wide-ranging experience that Huddle has, I asked keji to share what she had learned. We've learned that you need to have a good onboarding process and that that onboarding process needs to stretch a few months. <laughs> I'm a I'm major advocate of spending time bringing together a group and building that trust and team building. We see the value in providing one-to-one check-ins and then also training. If we're thinking about building relationships and, and strengthening connections, staff members can provide training, and that's a way of connecting. Given
0: that Hazellov had a wide range of experience working with different grant makers, I asked her what advice they would give to grant makers who were considering
5: involving young people in their grant making. My advice, though it may sound biased, is have a third partner to hold the space for the young people and to act as a critical friend and to support you internally because when you're bringing young people in and you're doing it sort of internally things can be missed and I also I don't know if you are necessarily always going to be like challenged in questioning your existing organisational culture and processes and then also I think it just acts as a buffer for the young people Um, so that they can really genuinely say the things that they want to say and present the challenges that they feel that they're facing. And they may not necessarily be able to do that if they feel that everything is being done by this one organisation. And then I would also say that um, when it comes to decision making, really thinking about how your staff will input and not influence the young people. And I find that young people really respond to having things explained and being given options. As opposed to just being told. And then ensuring that you have staff internally who are gonna be championing this work and really embedding it within the organisation. And then finally, acknowledge and celebrate young people's input and think about offboarding. Like, offboarding is equally as important as onboarding young people to a process and not just allowing them to kind of fall off. For
1: me, what stuck out, things have just not been well thought through. Why do old- so? few grantmakers know how to do that thinking well and there's something about not just the recognition of the need for time and resource to go into this but expertise and so one of the things that both I think Keji and Ed brought to life was the importance of having somebody internal who can push the dial on the importance of having young people involved but that's also a really vulnerable space to be if you're like the only one.
0: And also I think it depends on how much a funder wants to change. With the involving young people collective, that's very much a sense that Esme staff and collective members are are in collaboration with each other, taking things forward together. Whereas the listening fund example is a sort of delegated responsibility or power that has been given to a group of young people to do together. And I think that delivers a different kind of outcome. In the dialogue between young people and Esme staff, more has the potential to emerge. Whereas, as we heard from Ed, there has been some influence on Blaygrave's practice, but not in necessarily in such a transformational way, because. The young people have been mostly interacting with each other and not necessarily with a wider group of funder staff.
1: Thanks to all our guests in this episode, Dan, Neha, Ed and Keji. You'll find further information about our guests and links to further resources in the show notes. And if you have any feedback or ideas about what we could cover next, then please email us at collective at collectivediscovery.co.uk.